Hey, kia ora, good to see you. My name is uh, Andre. My lovely wife Hannah and I, we lead Cornerstone Church Rolleston. And uh, if I haven't met you before, kia ora, nice to see you. And if you're a guest here this morning, kia ora and welcome. All right. Hey, what we're going to do, um, I've got some study guides. I had a bit of an issue with the printer. So I only have 15. So this is what I'm going to get you to do. If you have a device... And you are um, on our Facebook membership page. If you go onto that right now, you will find screenshots um, of the notes. And so if you're one of those people, um, I encourage you to save them as images. And then you can like open text on an image and you can write in the answer and those sorts of things. Or you can just follow along uh, in those. But if you don't have a device, um, we've got 15 copies so uh, put your hand up now if you would like a copy, a hard copy, and uh, Donnie is going to hand them out to you. We've got one there. You might need a pen as well. All right. Hey, anyone remember what book we're doing? Book of Acts. Hey, so why don't you church churn, why don't you turn to chapter, does anyone remember? Chapter 8. Nice. Does anyone know, just a little bit of a quiz, does anyone know what massive thing happens in Acts chapter 9? So the next time we do this, anyone know? Want to have a go? Yes, Michelle, down the back. Oh no, you've got your hand up for one of those. You weren't answering the question. Does anyone know? What's the big thing that happens in Acts chapter 9? Warren. Conversion of Paul. Uh, and that's a big deal. So I'm looking forward to that one. And we unpack the story, the conversion of Paul, um, next time. No, I wouldn't say next week, but next time. All right. Did we get out enough of these to people? Okay. Awesome. Hey, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we want to just honor you and your word this morning. Father, we just, we just pray that your word would speak to us wherever we are. And we know that it can, and we know that it does. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, remove the scales, if you will, from our eyes to see something new in the text this morning. If, uh, even if we've read this a hundredth time, or even if this is the first time we've heard this, or even opened our Bibles, Lord, we just thank you that you are gracious and that you are going to speak to us. In your mighty name, amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 8. Quick recap, we've got, um, we have Acts chapter 6 and 7 talks about a guy called Stephen. Now, we've got Stephen, he does this amazing speech in chapter 6 and 7. And if you know the story or if you were here last time we spoke about this, you know that uh, Stephen was martyred. He was the first, other than Jesus, he was the first person killed uh, for the Christian faith outside of Jesus. Did you know, we, 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 we get to the tail end of seven, there's Stephen, and now we're introduced to a new character as well, and his name is Philip. So we've got Stephen and Philip. Let me ask you a question. Are either of those guys part of the big 12, the disciples? No. So we've got the disciples that were with Jesus. Jesus has passed um, away and he's come back and now he's gone to heaven and we start to see the next tier of leadership going out 
and doing the awesome stuff that we see. So we had Stephen steps up. He wasn't even a disciple. He was a deacon. He was um, made one of those deacons that we read, and I think in chapter four. And he gets up and just does this awesome speech where he we really confronts the religious leaders, and because their big gripe, right, was that ah you're against Moses. You know you're against everything that we are. And he was saying in this big long speech at the end of uh, five and six, no, no. No, I'm not. I'm actually for Moses. I'm with you. This is the completion of God's plan in the nature and in the character of Jesus. But they stoned him anyway. They killed him. Uh, And then we're going to hear a little bit about a guy called Philip, who's also doing some awesome stuff. But I just want to encourage you. I read that this morning again, and I thought, man, that's cool. These guys are going out. And they're they're the next tier, they're the deacons, and they are just doing awesome works for God. And it's a reminder that, hey, it is not some special few, right? It is not some small group of people that are only the ones that are given the jobs to love others, to serve others, love God, and love others as yourself. It is all of us. So let's kick it off. Um, If you've got your notes there, I've written Saul plus Stephen plus Jesus equals Paul. So there's a conversion from Saul to Paul, and you're going to get that. um, We're going to talk about that in chapter 9 at some point. But the reason I wrote that is I believe, and one of the things that Jesus says to Saul on the road to Damascus, which we're going to find out in chapter 9, he says, like, there's there's something in your heart that's been pricked. And I think he watched Stephen, because we know that Uh, Saul was there when Stephen was killed. I think for whatever timeline that was between there and the road to Damascus, I think something was brewing in his gut and something was in his heart that was going, man, that was off. There was something there. Stephen is in his mind and in his memory. So I think part of the conversion of Paul to, uh, so Saul to Paul, um, I think Stephen actually had a great big part of it. So that's the, the tying in together. Let's read chapter 8, and then I've got a few notes and a few thoughts. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was there giving approval to his death, of Stephen's death. One day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, who hadn't yet been converted to Paul, because we're in chapter 8, not 9, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. You know, how many know that we're in a, in a battle, and the enemy often will come from house to house. And we need to be ready. We need to be wearing the armor of God. We need to be aware that sometimes this does happen. And it comes from house to house. There is, a, there is an accusation. I've written on the notes, persecution is a something of which the church something. I believe persecution, certainly in the New Testament and certainly in the book of Acts, persecution is a stage on which the church stands. Because 
It is a public thing. So if you write that down, it is stage and stands. It is a public thing. Everybody saw the church being persecuted, and there was a response. And we're going to read about that response very shortly. You know, um, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we've just read it here. Uh, hang on. There we are. Let me through through Stephen. Okay, sorry, there we are. Let's just try to look for it. Uh, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. If you go back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we are currently in 8 verse 1. But if we go back just a little bit, I can do it for you if you like. One moment, please. That's too far. There we go. This is Jesus speaking. Do you remember when he said this? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Does that sound familiar? You know, God doesn't do things by mistake. It's interesting that Acts chapter 8 verse 1 mirrors Acts chapter 1 verse 8. God is good. So what can we learn? What is the parallel between Acts 1, 8 and Acts 8, 12. Acts 8 is an outworking of Acts 1, and it's fueled by the Holy Spirit. And the vehicle that's used, not overly fun sounding, is persecution. You can't argue. You know, if I got a whole bunch of coals up here and you guys were uh, dry grass... What would happen if I had a whole big steel bowl of coals and you guys were the dry grass and I just waved them into the congregation of dried grass? What would happen? Fire. Everywhere it touches. And how many people know that often the enemy has a plan to kill, steal and destroy, but often God uses that plan or uses circumstances actually for his glory. Because what happened? The church got scattered into Judea, into Samaria, everywhere. Because they're like, ha-ha, we've stopped those Christians. But actually, what you've done is you've spread the gospel. Because these hot coals, what did they do? Everywhere they went, every village, every town, every new region they went, they spread the gospel. And I just think that's hilarious. Because, you know, there's this idea that, oh, we're going we're gonna to kill it. And they've actually helped. And it reminds me that actually God is bigger. God knows what he's doing. And though it's hard, I'll often say, you know, sometimes God doesn't change our circumstance, but rather he wants us to change how we respond in a circumstance. Because I do believe persecution will come in different forms, individually and corporately. You don't have to read the media too far at the moment to see some stuff happening. Would you agree? My encouragement to you would be to be the hot coal. Don't worry too much about stuff you can't worry about, but be the hot coal that is loving Jesus and loving others as yourself. Let that be your main thing. And whatever situation you find yourself in, you just burn that little light for Jesus. Is that cool? What can we learn about the modern day from um, Acts chapter 4? Uh, eight chapter... Uh, 
chapter 8, verse 4. Wherever we are, be the light despite the circumstances. Let's carry on reading, shall we? We're meeting Philip. Everybody say Philip. Are there any Philips in the, here today? Any Horatios? No, no Horatios. Okay. That's an inside joke, sorry. Horatio is our name of, uh, it's the name I always pick on someone. So I said, oh, I was talking to this guy, Horatio. Because if I say someone like Philip or someone else, there might be someone in here. Okay. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, who was not a big flash disciple or even an apostle, he was just a deacon, right? He'd been, they'd scattered. And Philip, I don't know why, decided he wanted to go to Samaria. Now remember, Samaritans were the people that uh, there was a divide. The northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel divided a long time beforehand. And all of these new people got, um, the, uh, came into the region through the, the occupying power. And what did they do? They, they intermarried. And so the kids... In the eyes of the uh, southern um, Hebrews, they, just, they, they were like, you guys are not real Jews anymore. You're Samaritans. You're not real Jews because you've intermarried and you've, you're, you know, your blood is, you know, that was a big deal. I've talked before about how Hebrews back in the day, there was you know, very strict rules, very strict criteria and hierarchy. And so I cannot, I cannot under-describe the hate and the dislike between Jews and Samaritans. They dis- despised them. They did not like them. They did not get, aw- get along well. Remember when Jesus met the Samaritan woman and it was a big deal that he was hanging out with the, the Samaritan woman? It's because he shouldn't have been. So Sam- Samaria was a place that you didn't go to. Um, in, I think it's in Luke. Uh, Jesus said that he had to go through, Luke said that Jesus had to go through Samaria uh, but you don't have to go, th- where's a town that you do not have to go through to get anywhere? Is it Waimati? Like Waimati is not on the main road, right? Like you have to go out of your way to go to Waimati. It was like Waimati. There was no reason to go through it. It's not like Timaru or, or Ashburton that you kind of have to drive through it if you're going south. They had to go out of their way. So it was a little bit of a joke that, um, that Paul said, but he went there because he wanted to make an impact. And here's the thing. The first real missions trip we see is where? Into Samaria, the place with the, the dirty Samarians, Samaritans. Did you know that the tribe of, um, the Samarian tribe still exists today? At last guess, there's 802 Samaritans still existing today. Uh, there are a lot more um, Israelis, a lot more Jews, a lot more Hebrews but there's about 800 Samaritans still left. Okay. So Philip, he's like, let's go to Samaria. So those who've been scattered. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed uh, the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he did. With shrieks and evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. I just love that idea. New convert, new to the faith. He's basically the guy that sets up chairs, puts the tables out, and he says, you know, they all get spread except the the disciples. And he's like, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to the worst of the worst. How cool is that? 
and he preaches the gospel and he sees miraculous things happen. Please, please do not underestimate young people here today. Like this, this guy could have been 14 for all we know. We don't know. I'm, we're expecting that he was young. Young people, if you're, fire, if you're on fire and you're burning for Jesus, man, you can do a lot. What's the difference between an older coal and a young coal if they've both been in the fire? It's no difference. Okay. I'll leave that with you. Do you know, um, I'm reminded uh, with China. Um, before the Cultural Revolution in China, uh, there it was estimated to be 500,000 to 800,000 Christians um, living in China. Now, I don't know exactly what the population of China is, but I'm expecting if it's not a billion, it must be fairly close now. It's huge. So 500,000 compared to, say, let's just call it a billion, but you know, please don't throw stones at me if, I, if I've got that wrong. Let's just call it a billion. I don't know what the percentage of 500,000 compared to a billion is, but it's not great. It is not big. It's tiny, in fact. And when the Cultural Revolution happened, uh, the church had to go underground. And in the West, people were asking the question, oh no, you know, is the church gone in China? Is there, they're not allowed to have Bibles. Like people had to meet in home groups and connect groups. But us in the Western sort of areas, we didn't really know that. We might have heard glimpses. We might have heard the odd thing that there's, you know, there's a house church movement. When, when the veil was lifted many years later and, and, and Westerners were able to come in, you know, they were persecuted, these Christians. You know, half a million Christians, they thought, out of a billion. Half a million, you know, 500,000, that's a lot of people. When they came in, they realized that the Holy Spirit and that God had been working in the people. And through that persecution, the church had grown from half a million to estimated, let me just make sure I got this right, 50 to 120 million people. I don't know how many times half a million goes into 120, but it's a lot. The church grew under persecution. Who loves that? <laughs> Who wants that for their... No, I'm joking. It's interesting to know though, right? Persecution comes when you're hot and you're living for Jesus, often growth will happen. It's a biblical fact. So when it does come, when it does look like, just go, well, I'm not the first. We'll carry on. One thing I, I realize here about persecution, when you look at all the persecution, just, just putting it out there, do you see a whole lot of complaining? I'm just asking the question, do you see a whole lot of complaining? You don't, really. In fact, there's some lamenting, but that might be about it. There's a getting together, there's coming closer to God. That seems to be the main priority here. Just a thought. Shall we carry on? I've written persecution brings dissemination, which brings expansion. I think that's an interesting point. Disperses. Right. Do you guys want to hear about a sorcerer? It's not Harry Potter. <laughs> Verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted. Mm, doesn't sound like a God-fearing person. He boasted that he was someone awesome and great. 
And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when he had believed... Uh, we'll leave it there for a second. They, people thought this guy was amazing. Um, historians believe that he probably dabbled a little bit in things like... Um, Astronomy, he probably knew things to a certain degree, uh, like um, solar eclipses and that sort of stuff. You know, back then there was a little bit of science. He would have known, you know, maybe this chemical with this chemical could produce this, that sort of stuff. He was a mix between a sorcerer, a genuine worshipper of something else, a little bit of a scientist, a little bit of a, a con man, a magician. Okay, there's a whole mixture of things going on here. But one thing we know is he wasn't operating necessarily, well, at all in the power of Christ, right? But he sees people operating in the power of Christ. Let's carry on. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard, no, 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 first, uh, verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Can you guys say believed for me? Thank you. Believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. You know, sometimes you can read things on a paper and go, that looks good. But if you really look deeply, there's more going on here. Why do you think Philip was following them around, asking questions and trying to gain the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you think it was for good? No, these guys came in and stole his business. And we know that. We know that that's the, we get there soon. You might be thinking, that's a bit harsh, Dre. But we'll get there because one of the disciples turns up and sees it for what it is. On that, verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent in the big guns. They sent in some disciples. Uh, they, uh, they sent Peter and John. Now, John, it's important to remember. Does anyone remember John when he was with Jesus when they were going into a village in Samaria? I think it's in Luke. We're going to get there. I think it's Luke 9. Let me read this out to you. Same John. That's going into Samaria now, okay? John, I think 54. When the disciples, uh, James and John, oh no, I've lost my spot. Anyway, James and John uh, saw this. They asked the Lord, because they, 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 they weren't accepted into Samaria. They asked the Lord, uh, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? And Jesus rebuked them and said, no, we'll just go to another village, thanks. This is the same John, now in the book of Acts, who's like, let's not bring the fire of, you know, destruction. Let's bring the fire of the Holy Spirit. How many people know that you can stuff up and try and burn a whole village to the ground? Hopefully that's not what you do. But you can stuff up and have the wrong motive. And guess what? God can still use you. How many people love the idea that you can make a mistake and through great God's grace that you can be redeemed? I want to burn that village. 
actually, maybe we should go and release the burning impact and power of the Holy Spirit into the village. I just think that's cool. Now I've got to find my space. Sorry. Oh, Acts 8. Look at that. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the words, they sent Peter and John. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Can you guys say, receive the Holy Spirit for me? Beautiful. Because the Holy Spirit had not come upon them yet, and they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Do you guys remember what happened when Jesus was with the woman at the well, um, the Samaritan woman in the well, where we find it in, in the book of Luke? What did she do afterwards? Does anyone, anyone remember? She went back to the village and told them about Jesus. And the Bible records that that Samaritan village responded to the name of Jesus and were baptized. So I think these guys going through these different Samaritan villages, they would have come across that one village and gone, wait a minute, we've been here before. And they would have been like, yeah, we know you guys. You know, we're living in the, in the Christian faith already. I think that's pretty cool. It's all interconnected. Okay, they received the Holy Spirit. Let's have a look at our notes just quickly. Is there anything I've missed? So who were the Samaritans? They were the northern tribe. They intermarried and they were despised, hated, and shamed. So it's a big deal that the Jews were ministering to the disciples. In fact, their preference would be even if you saw one, you would be unclean and that you would wash. But the gospel is introduced. Jesus is introduced. And now what are they doing? They're going into that place and they're connecting with them, eating food with them, and they're laying hands on them. What has happened between that and the religious stuff of you know, being completely disconnected? It's a reminder to us that our preferences should never, ever be bigger than what God's doing, his precedences. So the mission of the gospel should never be stopped by our preferences. Ever. I'm on a journey at the moment, I won't name what group, but there is a group that God is doing something in my heart towards. I didn't necessarily have any issue with. There's an individual, not anyone in this church, but God keeps bringing them up. I'm dreaming about them. There's all of this stuff that's happening, and I just know, I'm like, God, why me? But I, and hopefully one day I'll get to share the rest of this, this story as a testimony. But uh, I'm just reminded of this story when I think of it. Because I think, gosh, if there's any other group of people I'd be more comfortable to pray with and to be with and to instruct. But here I am. I believe, you know, in this season, especially this season at the moment, there's a lot that's happened over the last two years. There's a lot that's happening over the last couple of months with stuff and churches and, and a lot that's happening with college up north, I think it's really important that we keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is Christ. One piece of advice I would give you is I believe that we need to have soft hearts and thick skin. Do you understand what I'm saying there? My heart is towards you. There's nothing that you are or can do that I'm not willing to connect you with connect to you with. But 
in the same breath, we're going to need a thick skin in the coming season. So often I meet Christians who have got the wrong thing around. Their heart is hardened towards people. They don't like those people. Don't like those ones. Don't like them. Their heart is hardened. And in the same breath, they're, I'm so offended. People will say things that offend you and upset you. I'm sorry. Jesus said that. I will, on occasion, and I have done before, accidentally offended people. I believe as Christians, we need to have a thick skin to that and go, you know what? I believe, I'm going to pick on someone, Deborah. I believe Deborah, she might have said something and she didn't mean it at all. But how many people know that sometimes someone says something and the way you interpret it isn't necessarily the same thing? Anyone else? I think if you stopped and asked the Holy Spirit, he might tell you. But perhaps Deborah didn't say hello to me or didn't do something. Can I, I could walk away and in that gap, I could put suspicion or I could put faith. And my faith says, actually, I know Deborah loves me and is for me and is with me and believes in me. And I'm going to have a thick skin and a soft heart towards her. That would be my encouragement in this next season. Thick skin, don't think let things offend you and bother you. Let it wash off a little bit. But let the main things be the main things and have a soft heart towards people. Can I get an amen to that? I think that's a good point. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Simon the Sorcerer. <laughs> his name is known as Simon Magus, and he was a big influence. He even had a statue in Rome. He was a big deal. But then the big deal meets another big deal in one of the disciples. And let's see what uh, happens here, shall we? Ready for some fireworks? <laughs> All right. When Simon, in verse 18, saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of uh, the apostles' hands, he offered them money. I think we've got to read between the lines here a little bit. He, he's a guy that is trying to manipulate the gospel for his own means and purposes. I hope, I hope that none of you have experienced that, but some of you would have. And look, I apologize on behalf of Christian leadership for that. But people do sometimes get into leadership and get into church to manipulate, to have their own agenda. And we get this here. But Peter sniffs this out pretty quick. He said, give me, I'll give you money. And he said, give me also the ability that everyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. What do you think a guy's going to do that he's so concerned about money and power? He's going to be like, do you want the Holy Spirit? Sweet. That's 20 bucks. That'll be what happens. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. There's a belief with um, some theologians that the actual Greek word, the actual meaning behind this. Now, I'm just saying this. That when a couple of the Bible versions say it like this, um, I won't look at anyone. I'll look up at here when I say it. He's basically saying, to hell with you, which is pretty strong words. It's a rebuke. But how many people know that with a biblical correction or conviction, there should always be a pathway it should never just end there. And, and we don't, it doesn't end here because Peter then says, money perish with you because you thought you could buy this gift of God with money. You have no part to share in this ministry because of your heart. 
It is not right before God. Here is the offer. Repent. She says, you're going to hell, my friend. But you have an option. You can still repent. And it is a good reminder to us. All We always have the option. God always has a pathway back to connection with him. And it's through repentance. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Man, if I was him, do you remember these guys? I think it was, it was Peter that, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, right? Turned into, I would be a little nervous when he starts, you know, throwing those statements around. I'd be like, I'm turning into, yeah, uh, not a pillar of salt, but I'm going to die here. But he didn't. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. That idea boast, I think that has a lot in it. If you're ever in a ministry or even in a context where a Christian's boasting in their own ability and strength, can I just say, just a little red flag. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And neither should we. Yep, sure, there's times when we make mistakes and perhaps we need to change our attitudes. Sure. It's an interesting thought. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing happens that you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching, in the, go- preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. I would have loved for Simon to hear Simon say, Simon got on his knees and repented. And from that moment on, he supported the Christian. It didn't. He just said, I hope that doesn't happen. And then nothing, he didn't do anything else. All right, a few thoughts on this. So um, what is the connection between verse 14 and Luke 9? Oh yeah, we've done that. Um, Our God is a God of second chances, if you want to fill that in. And so what simple truth do we learn about ourselves from Simon the Sorcerer? And if if you're following on the notes, I've got something alone is something enough We also something, something, something. I want to say this. Please hear my heart. Belief alone is not enough. We also need a change of heart. I'm going to read that again if you want to write it in. Belief alone is not enough. We need a change of heart. So is belief and it is a changed heart. Do you remember when uh, Jesus uh, in, I think, Matthew and Luke, they go across the river, uh, go across this lake, and they come to the other side, and there's a demon-possessed man, um, and he's walking around the tombs, cutting himself, and he's crazy. Do you guys remember that story, if you're not familiar with it? Do you remember what he says? Behold the Son of God! He knew exactly who he was. And his statement was true. He believed who he was. In fact, the Bible says even demons believe in God. Even Simon the sorcerer, because he had seen the things with his eyes, he believed. But how many people know that you can believe and just leave it there? I've been there. Anyone else brave enough to say that you've had a belief system, but your heart wasn't changed? Does anyone know anyone like that? Don't look, don't make eye contact with anyone if you put your hand up. (laughs) You're like, 
Belief alone is not enough. There's an action, there's a response, there's a living, loving, daily relationship as well. Okay. I feel like Simon seems less interested in the God of miracles rather than the miracles of God. Um, There was a term um, for a couple of, a thousand or so years after that in church history called simony. And ancient church historians and popes and the Catholic Church and stuff, they used this term simony for someone who wanted to buy political power in a religious role. And they they called simony because of Simon the sorcerer. And popes, I know Pope Benedict VI, I believe, he did that. He huge amount of wealth to buy his popehood. Interesting. We need the gift of discernment. You know, John also, he was there when Ananias and, sorry, Peter. Peter, he was there when Ananias and Sapphira came in. Do you remember he had that gift of discernment? He knew straight away. And he's operating in this gift of discernment again, where he says, "This your heart's not right, mate. I know that your heart's not right. You say all the right things and you do all the right stuff but your heart's not actually for the gospel. It's for what the gospel can do for you. The gift of discernment is a tricky gift. Sometimes you're in a situation and you just go, I just know that that person's not being truthful. I know that the situation has more to it than what they're saying. It's a difficult gift to steward. If you have the gift of discernment, if your spouse is sitting here and going, oh man, you definitely had the gift of discernment. You know when I had a chocolate bar in the car when I was just getting gas. <laughs> Steward that gift. Love to talk to you if you operate in the gift of discernment and encourage you. Philip and the Ethiopian. Last bit. Everyone say Ethiopian. Good work. When was the last time you said Ethiopian? It's been a while. Okay. Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, remember, just one of the guys putting the chairs out, not a just, but the same God that dwells in Jesus, the same spirit that dwelled in Jesus dwells in him. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace. Candace is the term is the title for the queen of Egypt, uh, uh, Ethiopia, sorry. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So we know that he was a a Jew convert, a a convert to Judaism. And the fact that he had, I will get there, hang on, getting ahead of myself. And um, on his way home, he was sitting on the chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go near. Go to that chariot and stay near. We know this guy was super, super, super important. Because back then, it was very difficult to have a copy of any scriptures. In fact, they just stayed in the temple. And the fact that a Gentile convert had one, it can only mean he was super wealthy, super important. He must have paid a lot of money for it. So he was a big, big deal. Huge amount of influence, we know, historians believe. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. He said, do you understand what you're reading? How many people know that amazing conversations can start with a good question? 
Maybe we should use more questions than statements. The counselors amongst us would agree. Do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked. The man said, how can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me, there's an opportunity. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. There's a lot of passages in Isaiah. How many people know, you know, do you know that there isn't a Hebrew word for the word coincidence? Did you know that? There isn't a word for coincidence in the Hebrew language because they don't believe in it. They believe everything is ordained by God. Yahweh. And he was reading this. So he's a man that believes in God, the Hebrew God, has yet to meet or know anything about Jesus. But he's reading this, funny enough. He was led like a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In the humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Is it himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Man, I would have loved to have been a fly on that chariot. What a cool environment. What a cool situation. As they, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. I'm going to pause there for a second. The Holy Spirit knows when. The Holy Spirit knows where. I've got this in my notes. So listen. (laughs) You don't know it all. But if you take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to speak to your spirit, you might hear something. In this case, an angel spoke to him and said, hey, go to this chariot, go close to that guy, be bold, be encouraged. He's like, oh, excuse me. Do you know what you're reading? Let me tell you about a fellow I know called Jesus. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. There is power in invitation. We need to invite We need to be open to the Holy Spirit inviting us into situations. Let me ask you a question. What was the obstacle between the eunuch and getting baptized? What did he have to do? Trick question. (laughs) Nothing. He believed. He had a faith and and a desire. He had a heart change. And he got baptized. Often we put man-made obstacles between us and things like baptism. Or I might even say today, for those, I feel like there's some in the room that you feel like there is an obstacle between you and relationship with God. Guess what? It's actually a man-made obstacle. It's not real. God wants you to respond. God wants that connection, that relationship with you. And hey, for baptism, it's a belief. It's a heart change. And that's it. There's not 11 steps that you have to go through to be baptized. I remember at my old church talking to a dad of a 14-year-old boy who wanted to get baptized. And he said to me, he can't get baptized yet. I said, oh, why? He said, his room's always messy. 
I'm not joking. I had to do that pasta face where I go, hmm. And inside I was like, what's that got to do with it? I was like, yeah, and his room will still be messy probably after he gets baptized. <laughs> but he has a desire and a want. This eunuch, he'd been a Christian for like 11 seconds. <laughs> and he just wanted to get baptized. He wanted the next step. For those that are in that space, I would encourage you. I just woke up this morning and you know what I did? This is great when you are the boss and you can just make calls. I was like, we're going to do a baptism service. We haven't got one planned, but I was like, we're going to do one in the next month. So sorry, uh, Bronwyn, but we're doing one on the 17th, and she doesn't have it on the info kiosk. But we're going to do one on the 17th of July. And uh, if you know someone that wants to get baptized, I encourage you. We're going to do it. I'm making all of this up this morning, but we're going to do it at the hub after the service. Um, And uh, it's going to be the middle of winter. So we'll get like some sort of heated hot tub or something like that. If someone wants to donate a hot tub to church, feel free. Um, But it'll go to my house first just to test to see if it works. Um, But then we're going to do a baptism on the 17th of July. So go down to the info kiosk and you can be like, you don't know this, (laughs) but we're doing a baptism on the 17th of July. Can I put my name down? And they'll go, sure, write it on a piece of paper. But I want to just say, you can get baptized. Well, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And if you're in that space, come see me after the service. Can, let's stand to our feet, shall we? Worship team, do you want to come on up? Baptisms are awesome. Who loves a good baptism service? Who here has got a really cool baptism story? Don't worry, I'm not going to make you share it. Anyone here got a really terrible baptism story? I've got a really bad one too. <laughs> Which is why I really make sure that when we do baptize people, we do a really good job. <laughs> What stands out for you in Acts chapter 8? What's your takeaway point? Oh, we never finished the scripture, did we? One moment, while they play guitar nicely in the background and I catch up to myself. They baptized him. (laughs) And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, here's a cool miracle, suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not ever see him again. And the eunuch did not ever see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Aztos and traveled about preaching the gospel in the towns until he reached a place called, uh, I can never pronounce this, Caesarea. You'd be pretty empowered if the Holy Spirit spoke to you, told you to go to a place, and this happened. You got baptized, you put him in the water. And then when you both came out of the water, I don't know why, it says both. He was really going for it. Maybe that's how we should do baptisms. I should go down with you. But when they came out of the water, he came to in a place called Azeros, which is a couple hundred miles away. So when we do the baptism service on the 17th of July, if I disappear, I might be in Gore. Or Waimati. Someone will have to come get me. Or maybe I'll have to have to ask God to bring me back. What is your big takeaway? You know, there's a lot in um, chapter 8. But I think of the two deacons that were given jobs to wait on tables and do that stuff. They were empowered and did amazing work by the... Then... We have Simon the Sorcerer. 
who wanted to use and manipulate the power of. Then we have Philip hearing from. Oh, you guys are catching on. You're good at this. He baptizes. And then he's taken to another place by. If you haven't already picked up on my big takeaway, we need the Holy Spirit. Now, I know when I say that, some of you come from different backgrounds and experiences. You're like, oh no, the pastor's talking about a Holy Spirit. Where's the chandelier? He's going to start swinging from. That would be a terribly high, scary chandelier to swing from. No, I'm not saying some, and this is great, people do that, awesome, no problems. I'm not saying there's any issue, but there are man-made, you know, like this is what the Holy Spirit is. No, Holy Spirit can operate and do many different things in many different places in many different ways. I just say we, well, I know from this scripture, from this chapter, we need the Holy Spirit, people. And do you remember in there it said that they were, they, they were um, baptized into Jesus they became Christians, they became saviors of Jesus, but they hadn't yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit hadn't come. During this song, I just want to encourage you, if you, if you, something in you says, man, I need to respond, I need a heart change, we've got a team here today, we'd love to pray for you. And if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I would love to do that with you today. Yes, it's scary, but I'm not scary. I've got a good smile like this. Okay, is that scary? I won't do that smile. So we're going to do a song. Have you guys got a song? You've already got one? How yeah. Great Thou Art. How Great Thou Art. Well, that's a good song. If you would like to be have hands laid on you and ask for the Holy Spirit to be in your life, it would be our privilege to join with you. If you would like a refilling of the Holy Spirit or an encouragement in the Holy Spirit, we would love to pray for you. This is nothing special. You know, we do this regularly because we meet together regularly, but we just want to see change. There's nothing special in responding. It's just the easiest way for us to do it here at the front. So I encourage you, whoever you are, going, I'm not going to look at him. I'm feeling like God's talking to me, but I'm going to look at the ceiling. God is talking to you, not me. And perhaps God's asking you to respond in some way. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face shine upon you and bring you peace. What do we need in our lives, people? Holy Spirit. Thank you. Please respond now.